everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Advancements in Medicine Society's podcast. I'm your host, Hannah, and it's been a while since we released an episode, but I hope everyone did well at their midterms, you're happy with your marks, and hopefully you're enjoying the somewhat small break and nicer weather before exams start. But anyways, let's just jump right in, and I'm super excited to be speaking with who has graciously agreed to join us on this podcast today. Today's featured guest is a professor and chair of microbiology and immunology here at Western University, and he also holds the Canada Research Chair in HIV Pathogenesis and Viral Control. Please help me give a warm welcome to Dr. Eric Arts. I'm Eric Arts, and I'm a <laughs> professor in microbiology and immunology at Western. Um, so my path that led me to where I am today is um, not, not actually all that exciting, and I didn't go through a lot of diversions on my way. Um, I... I actually was an undergraduate student at Western. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Five years ago. Um, oh, no, not too long I, ago. No, 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 no. I was an undergraduate student from 1986 to 1990. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, uh, I, when I arrived, um, I don't know what triggered my interest in microbiology, but yeah. Uh, probably in the first couple of weeks of arriving, I mm -hmm. thought oh, I'd like to work in a lab. Yeah. And I volunteered in a lab. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, 1986, it was just at the time when HIV was, mm -hmm. was um, arriving on the scene uh, as, a, yeah. as a pretty bad health mm -hmm. problem. And so I got engaged in that, did that for a few years, then decided to go on and do a PhD uh, at McGill mm -hmm. and then did a postdoc. And then I was <laughs> in Cleveland, Ohio for 20 years oh my um, doing Are research you... at the faculty. Yeah. And um, would you like to go into more depth about like um, one of your favorite projects that you did uh, throughout your career? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I started off in like biochemistry, so very mm -hmm. specific working with proteins and enzymes related to HIV, yeah. working on RNA and transcription. And um, so I don't know how much the audience knows biology, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was very, very focused on the molecular aspects. Mm -hmm. And then over the years, um, probably because of an influence of my PhD supervisor, a guy named Mark Weinberg, he's um, world-renowned in HIV research, and he passed away just a couple of years ago in a, in oh. a drowning accident, which is awful. Um, but he always, he was a similar mold than me, and I, I guess maybe I saw what he was able to do, and I thought, wow, I don't really just need to do biochemistry. Yeah. I, I can do more in virology, mm -hmm. and I can look at drugs. And That's I can great. do public health and I can set up a lab in Uganda. And um, so, you know, I expanded. And mm -hmm. so I really lack a focus, but I really <laughs> find it entertaining when I do yeah. things that are mm -hmm. different. Yeah. In a way, that's really good. Yeah. Just not like sticking to one pathway, I guess. Do you mind me yeah. asking what your undergrad was at Western? It was at microbiology and immunology. So, oh, sorry. Yeah. Like, you were part of the med sci, uh, medical science 
it wasn't med sci at the time. So at the time it it was all in science and and the medical school had no undergraduate. Oh, I see. Because I know a lot of people feel pressure just to stay in med sci and microbiology and immunology. Because I know that's part of the the medical science pathway now. But I was just curious because I'm like, so you had all these like, um, you didn't really have to stick into one uh sorry path because you want to like you just like let me just do it and then I like that yeah yeah I mean a lot of people I mean I was fortunate like I didn't I didn't really debate as to what I wanted to do yeah. I I was very targeted from the time I was like 18 19 years mm-hmm. old so no not many people are like that so mm-hmm. it, it, there's a big advantage in 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 having that there's also a big disadvantage mm-hmm. Because it's later in life that I start exploring a lot of yeah. other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you had a lab in Uganda. Do you mind me asking, like, why you chose to do it um, over there instead of Canada to study um, HIV oh, and such? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I still I have a lab in, in mm-hmm. at, at Western and I have a lot of mm-hmm. students and such. But um, when I was in Cleveland at Case Western Reserve University, um, yeah. They had a big collaboration in Uganda. And then, you know, mm-hmm. another person who had an influence in my life said, um, you know, we would like to set up some HIV research studies, mm-hmm. mostly in patients. And I wasn't really doing a lot of patient-based work. And he said, we need a, a set of laboratories in Uganda. So in 1997, I, I made my first trip and I've been uh, probably like, I know at least once or twice a year since then. Mm-hmm. So until the last two years, and finally I get to go back in April. My second <laughs> That's home. amazing. I would love to do that. Did you feel that you got like a different perspective or insight with your research over there? Yeah, absolutely. Like so, you know, you I we always had good interactions with the HIV and uh, infected community. So people living with HIV. And, um, but, you know, that population is still relatively small in Canada. I mean, it's still sizable. It's, you know, almost 100,000 people or so. But um, in in Uganda, it was pretty well one out of every 10 people you met on the Mm -hmm. street, you realized they were HIV infected. Mm -hmm. And when I started in Uganda, there were treatments for HIV here that kept people alive. Yeah. But in Uganda, those treatments weren't available. Mm-hmm. So the, the hardship, you know, I always say SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-2 has a mortality rate, a death rate of, you know, mm-hmm. really 1% or less. HIV without treatment has a death rate yeah. of 100%. Mm-hmm. So everyone who gets infected will die if they don't receive mm-hmm. treatment. So that's what I observed when I was there. Yeah. And, and then slowly, you know, treatment came into play and that was quite uplifting. And then, you know, just the whole aspect, different culture, different community, mm-hmm. um, and, and just, you know, a combination of poverty and happiness mm-hmm. uh, was, uh, you know, something in the society there that I thought, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it really opens up your eyes. I think I learned about that too in class, like, um, uh Kobe like it was a big thing but I think it was more about like, the panic that really set it off instead of like people like there's so many things in like the world every day that's still like been a big thing like HIV and what else I think like 
oh, I can't remember, but it's something like that. Like, I think it was more about like, it's about more panic based instead of like, we have to start listening, um, thinking about the other um, disease that's already been the world so far before COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's been, oh, I'm trying to remember now. There's about 6 million people in the world, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that have lost their lives uh, yeah. to SARS-CoV-2. But, um, you know, every year there now is still about 1 million people that die of HIV. And, and throughout the history since the 19, about 1980, there's been close to 40 million people that have died of HIV. Oh, my God. Uh, the diff- but there's a dichotomy that exists, right? <clears throat> we are hyper concerned with SARS-CoV-2. And yeah. we have very little concern about HIV. Mm-hmm. But that's because it's infecting the North and it's uh, impacting us. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. That's very true. Yeah. You know, and it's not the same when you're in Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're concerned with it, but there is more. Yeah. There's HIV, there's mm-hmm. TB, and those are much worse than SARS-CoV-2. Mm-hmm. They're just like, it's over there. <laughs> we'll deal with it in a second, but it's important yeah. to like deal with it now as well. And I guess for uh, the next question, what would you say was, your biggest uh, challenge in your career, your undergrad career t- career till now, I guess. Oh, oh, wow! Uh, <laughs> you know, it it it's amazing. Um, it, with every stage in your career, you go through challenges, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you know, one of the biggest pr- challenge for me was getting that first grant. Um, mm-hmm. You know. It, and trying to establish myself as a new researcher when I was living in Cleveland, you know, I was married, I wanted to start a family and I was on a tenure track position. So it wasn't secure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was getting too close to the end of when I needed to get a grant. Yeah. That, that was, you know, it's a, terrible time for uh for anyone who wants to do academia to Mm -hmm. to to deal with that Uh, I mean in the end it all worked out and you know and with every challenge it gets a little easier because you experienced more and um and and we got through it right and Mm -hmm. you realized in the end those things mean those things are problems and they seem like huge problems at the time Mm but you know personal life problems mm-hmm. uh you know f- family illnesses etc those are the ones that really are yeah. the mm-hmm. hardest to deal with and, mm-hmm. and so it, you know it, my old boss would say to me um is success in science is about one attribute and it's like perseverance mm-hmm. definitely that, yeah so you know, you, you, do, you clearly have to have the experience, the knowledge, the education. You have to have a strong logical thinking in, in doing science and, and in medicine. But after that, it's really how much you're willing yeah. to suffer <laughs> defeat. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and, and suffer defeat and forget about it uh, mm-hmm. quickly. I guess that kind of leads up to my last question that I was going to ask you um, if you had any more advice for undergrad students who like don't really know where to start in the biotech or medical fields right after they graduate. Like, how did you, like, I guess, just get going with it yeah. after you graduated? Yeah, you know, uh, like, it, it, what I see with 
um, students in MedSci and all of these mm -hmm. programs coming in. And, and there's a lot of pressure from parents, from the parents, friends, society. And I, I see that so much, mm -hmm. you know, to, to attain that elusive spot in medical school or another professional school. And, and, you know, without a clear knowledge of what that entails, mm -hmm. you know, and how that will impact your life or will it impact your life? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that pressure is just enormous. Um, and I, there's so much more out there. It, it's, it's remarkable, like how much variety there is in careers, in science in particular, mm -hmm. that students just don't see. And I, mm -hmm. I also think they don't see that there is an aspect of the, the, the honor of being a medical doctor, for example, but also yeah. the financial benefits of it. But those exist in many careers in science and the financial benefits mm -hmm. can be attained very <laughs> effectively. And, and, and also in a circumstance where you may not have to work as hard, yeah. um, right? So I, I wouldn't say that that's the case for me. I, I, <laughs> It's exhausting and I work yeah. too much, but it's because I love it. So, mm -hmm. and when you love something, you don't mind working harder, mm -hmm. but that's yeah, that's the hardest thing is I, I see such all the time throughout my career, students that are super smart, super intelligent, very dedicated mm -hmm. that may not get into med school and yet they can, they can provides so much more to society than even being a physician. Um, and I don't mean to lessen a, a physician, but in the end, they, they're, they're applying a craft and a trade uh, to, for the betterment of health and people, but they're not inventing the treatments and the strategies, the diagnostic tools, and so many other things that they do apply. And so there's a disconnect as to yeah. what people perceive as medicine and what it actually mm -hmm. is. Not saying there isn't outstanding physicians that contribute to that or nurses and other healthcare providers. But if you really want to make a difference in terms of advancing and improving medicine, it's not always being a physician, it's mm -hmm. being a scientist. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Thank you. It's like uh, keeping your options open and not like just focusing on one straight thing. So this is great. I love this interview. Thank you so much. No problem, Hannah. So thank you. And yeah, have a good day. Thank you so much. Again, Dr. Art. Okay, so I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode of Dr. Eric Arts. I know I did. It was great talking to someone whose work is truly as amazing, inspirational as his, and he also gives great advice. But unfortunately, I think we have to wrap things up now, and this will be the last episode that Ames is releasing as exam season comes closer and closer. So I'm going to use this time to wish you guys luck on your exams, and just to remind you that since we're not releasing any more videos or episodes, uh, we will be starting again in September of the following school year. So be sure to tune to Ames' next episode in the new school year, and you can listen to this on Anchor or Spotify. I'm your host, Hannah, and thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,